It is the gift of God. Amen. We are in uh, the series, three weeks into the series on the walk, which is a study through the book of uh, Ephesians, Revelations, wow. (laughs) We will sometime tackle that one. Uh, Today, uh, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. How many of you have been doing your reading? How many of you online? We're looking, okay, I see one or two hands on the couch over there. How many of you guys in the house uh, have been doing your reading in in the book of Ephesians? Want to encourage you to do that again. A reminder, that's your homework. Uh, as we go through this series, and also if you uh, have opportunity to go back to the book of Acts chapter 19, nice for the setting of what Paul is walking into, and you may well remember from the opening message, uh, they were uh, charmed uh, by magic and the supernatural, looking for it in all the wrong places, and uh, there were people who were taking advantage of that and were making a lot of income. Uh, making idols and those kinds of things. They had put together a consortium, Demetrius, and, and uh, Paul came marching into the city uh, with a great declaration uh, that was going to make them go broke if people listened to him and heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, uh, started a, a, a uh, riot in the city. It was quieted by a city official and all kinds of awesome things were going on in this environment, uh, so I encourage you to go back to Acts 19 and, and read for a little backdrop. And today we're tackling what we just heard just a moment ago. So we're in Ephesians chapter 2, and uh, we're going to read this together, look at it together, ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word, if you would, this morning. <clears throat> I'm not going to read it as, as well and Maybe I can go deep voice on this for like we saw theatrically just a moment ago here. And you. (laughs) And you who were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince, the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together by Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For, let's read this last line together, will you? For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your word. We ask God that you would open our hearts and minds. You would deal with with us, Lord, as we go through this passage, as we have begun this year declaring that we want all the gospel and we want it for all the people. And God, we are asking that you would help us to see where we have deviated from your gospel, and that we might understand better what you have accomplished for us and live at out as children of obedience and not children of disobedience. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. 
Amen. Amen. God bless you as you're seated. Paul is reminding the Ephesians of the way in which they used to walk. It was true if they had come from a Gentile background. It was true if they had come from a Jewish background. Uh, all of us, all of us, you will notice there in verse 3, all, all of us once lived this way. And this is true of the totality of mankind. It is a divine diagnosis of the way we were. Can it be that we were all full of sin and we were walking our own way? Yes, it can. Then Jesus came with grace for us and turned us around, showed us another way. He's reminding them of the way we were in how it has been transformed in Christ. But he is also speaking to groups of people who haven't had the transformation of Jesus Christ in their life yet. They've come to hear the gospel, but have not yet accepted it. And so he's talking to a group of people for which this diagnosis then becomes uh, very uncomfortable for them to think about uh, what he's saying here. And there are two early observations before we dig into what I'm going to talk about today that I want to make out of uh, this passage of Scripture that we're looking at this morning. And the first is that this is a divine diagnosis. You can't see it unless God shows it to you. We went through that last week, the, the five-step process that the Holy Spirit is working through, first of all, to, to let us know that this is truth, to reveal to us that the gospel is truth all the way down to the steps where we recognize that we are in need of it, you know? It's not just the truth for my neighbor down the road. It's not just the, the truth for, for people who are living, you know, in their lives out in prison. It's, it's the truth for me. I am one who is dead. I am one who has been separated from God. And, and it is impossible to see unless God shows us. The only way that we understand this diagnosis is on the account of the fact that we have been rescued by Christ, that, that you have been brought to an, an awareness of the need for Jesus, and you understand something about what it means, what Paul was talking about to the Romans in chapter 5 when, when he tells them that they, they, they have uh, sinned in Adam, and, and, and in and with Adam, they are partners in sin, and, and they are dead to, in, in, and, and to, to sin, they, in their sin, they have died spiritually. There is no life in them. And, and that's uh, the result that they are both guilty. They are, they are both dead. And Paul declares in, in this passage, he says, the human condition is such that it, it cannot be fixed by legislation. The human condition is, is such that it cannot be fixed by education. The, the human condition is such that it, ca it cannot be fixed by indoctrination. It is a hopeless situation without God. Now, the only way it can be fixed is by resurrection. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and God is required for that. And the, the grace and the mercy of God it, we are in need of uh, because we are dead. And that is, is, is what Paul is reminding these Ephesian believers of, that, that God has done uh, whether they you know, are religious Jews or from, from a pagan background or Gentiles, they are, they are all in need of the same remedy. They all need resurrection. Amen. Amen. And the divine diagnosis covers all of humanity. There are no exceptions. There are no exemptions. There are no excuses. 
There is no escape save the escape provided through Jesus Christ. One out of one dies. It is a, a reminder of, of what we read early in the, the book of beginnings in Genesis. You might remember that it was actually Eve that's quoting this back, what God said to the serpent. When the serpent says, yeah, you're going to die. He said, well, I remember God saying, in the day that you shall eat of these, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. He said they weren't originally intended to die. They weren't originally intended to die. They were intended to live forever. It is sin that brought about death. And so every physical death is tied directly to sin. When you go to the funeral, remember that every physical death is tied to sin. God didn't intend it to be that way from the beginning. And ultimately, if we die physically, remaining spiritually dead, we die eternally. And eternal death will be separation from God in hell. And that's observation number one. Observation number two, as we look through this passage, is the diagnosis here in these first three verses is true for every person, even those who were brought up in a Christian home and professed their faith early uh, in age. Those who may have memorized scriptures, those who may have gone to Sunday school. In other words, here's a person who, who has lived what we would consider a decent life. They've obeyed the law. They've stayed married and, uh, you know, are considered generally by all their neighbors and friends to be a very good person. Someone that you could go and, and ask for help if your, you know, car breaks down. They would probably give you a ride to work. And, and Paul is expressing here, you know, that even the gospel is even for these people. That might be tempted to say something like this. You know, um, I'm kind of, I kind of was saved anyway. I've always been a good person. And Paul's saying, no, you weren't. No, you weren't. All of your goodness uh, piled up amounts to what Isaiah said is a, a, a pile of filthy rags. Yeah. All of the good deeds, all of your motivations, all of your intentions piled up smell bad to God, and they smell bad to the rest of us. You are in the same boat with everyone else. You need the gospel. You see, there's no degrees of dead. We don't walk up and say, well, how dead is he? Is he lightly dead, medium dead, or well done dead? He's dead. There are no degrees of being dead. You are dead. Whether you were acting good or whether you were raging in evil and sinfulness, you are dead without Christ. The diagnosis here in these first three verses is true of all humanity. And dead is dead. I want to go through the, in this passage three, the three big D's that kind of stick out for us. Uh, and those three big D's would be dead, <laughs> drifting, and disobedient. Let's walk through these real quickly. We come up to diagnose the individual, and someone might say, what's up with him? They would answer, he's dead. 
He's unresponsive. He doesn't hear God. And you can't make him. And neither can I. Only God can. Only God can raise him from the dead. Well, what's up with her? She's dead. She's unresponsive. She doesn't hear God. And you can't make her. And neither can I. Only God, only God can raise her from the dead. Well, what's the long-term prognosis? Well, they're alive in the flesh. They can argue religion with you. They can pack up the minivan and head out for the weekend to the lake. They can debate politics. They can wave at their neighbors on the way out. Monday, they can drop their kids back off at school, and they can go to work. The prognosis is they have no future. They have no eternity. They are living out their last moments on earth. They can't see, hear, or know the God who created them. They are spiritually dead. They're drifting. Drifting is the second part of it. J.B. Phillips, in his paraphrase of the passage we just read, he uh, renders these words. You drifted along on the stream of the world's ideals of living. I had an interesting experience uh, a few years ago, maybe five years ago, Michelle and I uh, were, actually Zach, I think, was with us too. We, we had gone uh, on vacation to Florida, and we were um, out on the, the uh, ocean, and we had gone on a little excursion where you, you do some snorkeling on a reef. And uh, the guy, the captain, obviously waited, you know, until we are there and committed, and you have your fins on, your mask on, everything else, to tell us the bad news. And, and the bad news is that it's, it's August, and uh, the moon jellyfish are everywhere, okay? Have a good time. <laughs> They're not, he said, they're not that bad, though. They, their sting is, is more like a mosquito bite. And, uh, you know, just don't get tangled up with a whole bunch of them. You know, just, you know, there. And, and the, the interest, you know, what the experience was as we got into the water, we, you realize that these, these creatures are uh, kind of purposelessly moving. They're caught by the current. They're, they're not going for you, though Michelle thought they were, you know. <laughs> following her wherever she went screaming and and uh, you know and then you would go down to see the beauty of what's going on in the reef and then you look up and it's just covered with the you know you're going to just come right up in the middle of all these guys you know and uh, they they are just being driven by the streams they they are not doing this on purpose they are being driven by the stream and and this is the picture that that uh, jb phillips is trying to paint in, in our life before Christ, we were carried about by the currents of crowd approval, carnal desires, greed, selfish fulfillment. We were just going along in the stream, offending and hurting and wounding and, and uh, you know, also approving of things that we shouldn't have been. And, and we're just carried along with this current because we were without Christ and, and we are drifting, we are dead, and uh, we, are, we are moving in the direction that the current is going and the motions uh, you know, we, we were in motion, but we are out of control of that motion. There are those, there's those jellyfish. They're in motion, but they're out of control of that motion. They're just being carried with the current, right? Eventually, many of them are going to wind up on the beach, uh, out in the sun and, and dried up, right? The currents took us even when we didn't want to go. 
That's what it's like to live in sin, to live in bondage. Paul says that's, that's what your life was like. You're drifting along. Uh, you thought you were making decisions. You thought you were doing, you were just being carried along with the mass group. It's a broad road and you're just being pushed down with the masses and you're no different than anybody else. You thought you were different. You know, you painted your hair different and got different tattoos and, and earrings and everything else, but you were the same as everybody else. You were drifting along with sin. And then Paul says, you were disobedient. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that works in the sons of disobedient. It, it is a clear picture for us of the difference between a, a true follower of Jesus Christ and one who is not. One is, is moving in the direction of disobedience, is a, is a disobedient child. I, I, I used to uh, think through this when I was a, a parent, or children were young, you know, and how hard it is to parent disobedient children, you know, it's like, you know, you just, it's just work, you know, and, and to instill values and to, and to, you know, and there's times that as a parent, you just want to just give in, you know, because you're just, you, no way, you know, and, and all the stuff that's going on and you're just, it's this fierce rebellion and, and disobedience, you know, to what you have asked them to do. And, and you're tempted just to say, oh, you know, I'm, I'll pick another battle. And, and, and still you, you fight it through all the way to the end. And how much joy there is in, in parenting obedient children. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Moving in that direction. You know? It was so great. Archie, we always marveled at how great our children were when we sent them to someone else. Like, they would, they would come back and say, oh, your kids are just wonderful. You know, yes, ma'am. No. And they would do everything I asked them to do and stuff like that. Like, what kids did you take home again? <laughs> what were their names? <laughs> Why do I do what I do? Why do I go where I go? Why am I in the position that I'm in? Why was I that way? It was because we declared in our rebellion that we would not serve God, and so we wound up becoming slaves to ourselves, our own lusts, our own greed, slaves to uh, sin, moving us in the direction we want to. Dylan said it. The great theologian, he said, you're going to serve somebody. <laughs> you know, it might be, you know, the devil. It might be the Lord. You're going to serve somebody. You know, you, if you advocate, you're, you know, you're still going to serve somebody. You are going to be drugged along by the currents of what is going on. We became the children of disobedience and we became the slaves of sin. And Paul is, is pointing this out clearly and he, and he gives us this, this striking picture of us, uh, you know, to us of, of what our condition was. And then, and then he introduces us to something to rejoice about and something to be glad about and something that I think just, you know, when he said these words, if he was in a church service, I'm certain these guys came unglued. They got all excited about it. He told them how awful things were. You were dead to sin. This is the way you were. And then Paul says, but God. Right in the midst of this dark, bleak story where everything's going bad and, and we're remembering all the things that we did and, and it's, you know, we're, we're constantly reminded of our sin and, and what, a, what a, you know, an awful person we were at some point in our life and how we had hurt someone, wounded someone, even done damage to ourselves, our own reputation. And, and uh, then, then Paul says, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. 
you have been saved. But God made us alive. Paul is, is just painting the striking picture of the depravity of man juxtaposed to the beauty of the redemptive work of Christ. He said, man was, in, you know, in, in your sin, you were dead, you were drifting, you were disobedient. In Christ, you are resurrected, you are anchored, and forgiven. Amen? And he talks about grace, uh, which is defined unmerited favor. Nothing that you have done to earn it, but God just lavished it out on you. Uh, he's given this great grace and mercy to you. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Some would, would think it's enough that he would just forgive me. That he would just forgive me of what I have done. He would do a healing work in those that I've offended and hurt. Uh, he, would, he would do a healing work in me. It's enough that he's done that. But that he would take me up and seat me with him. Yes. As if I belonged in the same room as him. As if I, I even had any right to be standing in the shadow of his presence. That he would just bring me in and say, Dad, these are your kids. They belong to you. He seated me in heavenly places with Christ Jesus so that the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of the grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of the works so that no one may boast. And I love that last, the way he ends this passage. For you're the workmanship created in Christ Jesus. For good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. There, there's, there's a popular um, declaration that's going around, and it's, it's funny. I've read it. I've seen it, you know. And um, if you're a follower on social media of any, any way, you've, you've seen this before. You've seen it probably in reels and shorts, and you've seen it in memes that have been put up. But it is, it is apparent, and apparent standing boldly and strongly, uh, declaring you know, to those who aren't yet parents that they are unique. And they, that what they do is they, they ask the question, have you ever made people? <laughs> and they will say, I made people. And they look like me. <laughs> and yet in all honesty, we know that we have not made people. Right? They may share our DNA, but the life that's in them is all from God. Every breath, the uniqueness of their personality, the gifts that they reveal as we watch them grow, that's what you know, brings many people uh, to, to know God. I was thinking about uh, the story of Jen Fullwater, and she was sharing her testimony. Uh, she was raised uh, in, a, in a, a home where they were... Uh, you know, atheist and very science-based uh, parents were both uh, successful uh, in that field, and and uh, they. You know, she was talking about how at night to put her to bed. You know, her dad would read Carl Sagan, and and uh, so she had grown up to believe that we are, you know, just a, just a random accident. We are a collection of of molecules that came together at the right moment. And she said, it, what what transformed her forever was holding her first child in her hands and looking in the face of that child. And she said, 
If I believe what I was raised to believe, I believe that every feeling and urge I have to, is, is, is a part of evolution that has drawn me to, so that I can take care of this child and, and raise this child up. And, and uh, I won't cast it aside, but I'll, I'll give it what it needs at the appropriate moment. And that's what's happening to me as this chemical reactions are going on inside of me to love this child. If I believe what I was raised to believe, but I'm looking in the face of this child and I know there's more to it than that. Yeah. God has done something here, and I am holding in my hands the gift that has come, not from me, but from God. I have a cousin, the very same thing happened to, he was in rebellion, he'd been raised to know God, and he was deep in rebellion, but when he held that child in his arms for the first time, he fell to his knees and cried out to God, forgive me, Lord, make me your child again, because he looked into the face of God's workmanship. We are his workmanship. As we come to the Lord's table today, I want to invite our worship team to come back. We remember that we, how we used to be, how things were before. And we know who we are now. But there may be some who are listening to us online or some who are present today that are saying, it's no different. I, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying, but I, I'm the same as, as what you talked about before. I need a Savior. I'm recognizing in these moments the Holy Spirit's doing a work in my heart and in my life that I recognize I need to surrender to Him and make Him Lord and leader of my life. I need to ask Him. So I want to ask you, before I ask you to stand, if you just bow your heads while you're seated, and if there's anyone here that would lift your hand up and say, Pastor, I need to make a commitment to Christ. Maybe you were at one point in your life close to him and, and you've drifted, and you're saying, I need to make him Lord and leader of my life. Just slip your hand up and right back down. I want to acknowledge you this morning. Yes, and those that are online, if you wouldn't mind placing in the comments, pray for me. Pray for me, Pastor. Pray for me, church. Amen, amen. I want to invite you to pray with me this prayer in inviting Jesus to be Lord and leader of your life before we come to his table. Let's do it on his terms, not on our own. Would you repeat after me, Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I believe you died for me, and I believe you rose again. I believe you can raise me up and I receive you as Lord and leader of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We were dead, we were drifting, we were disobedient. And now we are alive, we are forgiven, and we are destined. Would you stand with me as we prepare to receive that which represents the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus? First, that wafer that you have there on the top, which represents the body of our Lord Jesus, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our sin was upon him. And with his stripes, that scripture says, we are healed. The interesting thing about the body of the Lord Jesus is that as his body was broken for us, he was laying the groundwork for the new body of Christ 
which is the church, and he was to be the head of the church, the head of the church. We are the body. And so as we remember what the Lord accomplished for us, we are all so grateful that we are members of the body of Christ, and we do so with great gratitude. Lord, we thank you that your body was broken so that we might become the body of Christ. The arms, the legs, the mouthpiece, um, in every way to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Loins girt about with truth. Lord, we walk with you, taking all the gospel to all the people. We thank you that the gospel came to us. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit and that we are a new creation. Thank you for those words, but God, <laughs> that totally transformed our lives. We receive this now with great gratitude and thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Receive that which represents the body of the Lord. Leviticus says the life of the body is the blood. Only many, many years, hundreds of years later, they would discover the, the great significance of the blood carrying throughout the body life to every part of the body. And Jesus' blood was shed for us that the body might live in him. I think about the story in the book of Genesis where it's the first murder and Cain took his, his brother's life. He killed Abel, his brother. And when God has the encounter with Cain about this, God says to Cain, I, I hear the blood of your brother crying out. And there's, there's a voice in blood. Blood has a voice that calls out to God. God hears it. Blood that's been shed in murder. Blood that's been shed in war blood that's been shed, you know, uh, innocent blood that's been shed all over. God hears the voice of that blood. And it calls to God to come and avenge it. It calls to God to come and reckon with it. It calls to the great judge of the universe to come and deal with this situation. But what stays God's hand is the blood that tripped in Calvary. It was the blood of Jesus that was spilled down that says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Have mercy, God, upon them. It stays the mighty hand of God from coming and dealing in wrath with every unique situation that has happened where innocent blood has been shed. You and I, in recent days, heard of the young baby that was thrown into the trash bin and thankfully saved and rescued, but there have been many that haven't been. Innocent blood has been shed, and God, as the great judge of the universe, that blood is calling, but the mercy of God, the grace of God says, I'm going to give them a moment longer, more opportunity to turn their life around. I will forgive them. I will give them another chance because the lamb, the blood of the lamb was shed and spilled down. Oh, that we could just usher ourselves into the foot of the cross right now and hear the voice of the blood that says, you are forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. We receive that which represents the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Can we take a moment just to praise him and thank him? Lord, we thank you. 
We praise you. Come on, just lift his name up. He's worthy to be praised. He's worthy to be praised. <laughs> 